0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, Last week, I spent a few days, or over this last week, I spent a few days at Wilson's Promontory uh, starting Sunday. And uh, it's the first time that I've done an overnight hike in Australia. It's also the first time that I've done an overnight hike by myself. Um, When I was growing up, as my friends and I would hike through the mountains in the U.S., we would always kind of half-joke and half-hope that we wouldn't see a mountain lion or a bear and the discussion would be what's going to happen if there's a wild animal that jumps out and we would kind of joke but the reality is like the slowest one of us was getting eaten (laughs) that's just what was going to happen and um, you know it's kind of interesting just kind of hiking on my own and there was one night one evening hike where you know it was just dark and just kind of walking through the trails and I'll tell you there's I'm just so happy that kangaroos are not predators. There's just something about walking through the bush in Australia going, you know what, anything that could possibly hurt me is smaller than I am. And so there was was a degree of comfort there. Now, this may not be true, but I just feel like the further you get away from Melbourne, the bigger the kangaroos get. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but there's just something about walking through like the prom at night and there's these giant kangaroos just jumping around. You're like, I know you're not harmful, but you're just a really large animal. Um, I also want to say thank you to Bernie and Mike who let me borrow their gators. Um, it definitely gave me a lot of uh confidence just kind of walking through the trails. I did see a tiger snake that kind of went right uh, in front of me. And thankfully it was, it was the back half of the snake, but literally uh, maybe one meter in front of me, tiger snake. And I was like, Okay. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm safe. I'm going to be all right. Uh, so I, I spent a couple of nights in, um, in Oberon Bay and, uh, I kind of picked the closest campsite to the car park that I could find. And I thought I've got about a 30 kg pack and I've got to go hiking for about a little over 9k. And uh, I'll tell you, I am not fit. I did not prepare for this and it was was rough. I I, I remember the first 30 minutes of my hike, I took the pack off and I was like, all right, do I just go back to the car right now? And there was this hiker and you could tell he was seasoned. I mean, his whole pack was streamlined. He was like an long clothes and, like, sunnies, and he was just, he was powering through, and I watched him, and I was like, oh, all right, I just grab, grab the hiking pack and just keep going. Um, so when I got to Oberon Bay, it was, like, this amazing, beautiful spot uh, on the western coast of the prom, and, um, you know, during my stay there, I, I got to spend a lot of time on the beach, and basically, I just spent there, and uh, spend time there, and for me, it was just—it was kind of like a spiritual retreat where I just felt I needed to connect with God. And it was the end of the year, and I just wanted to get away and just kind of reset. And uh, when I got to the beach, I found that uh, there were large portions of the beach that were discolored. And I don't know if you've ever seen this while you were at the beach, but um, if you take a look at the ground. Uh, what you'll notice is that there are just millions and millions of these sand spheres that just kind of cover the whole, well, actually not the whole beach, but a large portion of the beach. And I was so curious, and so it kind of led me to investigate uh, the origin and the purpose of these spheres. And as I walked along the beach, I found these tiny little crabs. And uh, I've come to know that these are called bubbler, uh, sand bubbler crabs, and Basically, if you kind of just observe these little critters for long enough, you'll see that... Um, I don't know if the laser is going to work No, I just blacked out the whole thing. Anyway, if you look at the very tip of the mouth of the crab, there's this little bit of sand that's kind of forming in the mouth. And what happens is, um, in low tide, as, as the water has receded, it kind of brings this layer of sand. And these uh, sand bubbler crabs hop out, And they take their pinchers and they rapidly shovel sand into their mouth, actually, and they eat the micronutrients that are in the sand. Now, they don't eat the sand itself, but basically as they're shoveling sand in their mouth, it kind of creates this bubble of sand, and it's like a mixture of saliva and sand, and then they kind of kick it away from them, and it creates these sand spheres. Um, Now... At high tide, the crabs burrow into the sand and the tide brings this fresh layer of sand and nutrients and the process starts all over again. Now, what was interesting to me is that um, in the few days that I was at the beach, I kind of thought there would be flocks of seagulls hunting these crabs because if you just stand there for long enough, literally thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of these crabs, and I just thought there would be kind of like this feeding frenzy, and for the three days that I was out there, I never saw Flocks of birds descend and kind of eat to their fill and fly away and I just kind of want to show this uh, video oh, here we go so basically, this is Oberon Bay, and as you just kind of look from one side to the other, literally millions of these sand spheres now, while the sand provides food and I guess that's just going to loop through maybe by I... okay <laughs> now. While the sand spheres provide food for these crabs, I think they also provide camouflage. And it becomes really difficult to differentiate at a distance crab versus sand. And while one crab doesn't make a huge difference, a whole colony of crabs completely changes the landscape. It was so neat seeing these crabs thriving in an uh, inhospitable environment, it made me think about the church it It made me think about well, today, excuse me <laughs> yeah, it just made me think about how these little these colony of crabs have the power to change the landscape and thrive in an unwelcoming environment, and it, it made me think about the church, and today, I want to help prepare us as a church to think about what it means to build a vibrant community of faith that can effectively minister to a community outside of the church now, as you can see on this slide. We're going to have a business meeting that will take place November 20th here at the North Detroit Church. The meeting is going to take place at 10:45 a.m. and go and finish at uh, at noon. Now, as a church, we're going to be making strategic decisions that will potentially shift the direction of this church, and I want to share the discussion points and the proposed direction with you uh, before we go into this meeting. So I'll give you one week to look at the discussion points, to think about the agenda to pray through it, and then to come together uh, two Sundays from now uh, for discussion and for voting. And it's my hope that as you take time to pray about these discussion points and the direction that um, we can really have meaningful discussion that will make an impact inside and outside of our community. So before I share um, what we hope to achieve in the future, I want to revisit just in a snapshot the history of our church, where we've come from, Because I think the past puts context to the present um, and direction for the future, uh, and especially for those who are new with us. So I'll start by sharing, uh, in July 2011, a handful of young professionals under the lay leadership of Martina Stanley started meeting at the Library of the Grand Hyatt in Melbourne CBD. It was in this place that the group discussed topics that were not often addressed from a Christian perspective. These individuals, such as Michael and his new wife, Sam, found a unique opportunity to voice their insights in this new gathering, and they coined the group, uh, they named the group City Seekers. In July 2012, the group met at the Stanley Home on a Saturday afternoon, and they found themselves dreaming of what church could look like. They valued open dialogue, relevance in ministry, and an inclusive and safe space where uh, where people could explore faith. And thus, a vision was born for the city church. In 2012, Jinha and I were employed by the Victorian Conference uh, to realize this vision and to expand the ministry started by the lay group. And together with the lay leaders, we transitioned the city seekers meeting into small groups meeting in homes. Sometimes we met in our home, and... Uh, Many of you would not have seen this apartment, but uh, back then we used to live in West Melbourne, literally right across the street from uh, the Victorian market. And this is uh, right behind Witches and Britches. And so it was kind of like an interesting place to kind of walk through where you're like, ah. but yet this is the home for where we really started ministry here in the city. And you know there were so many social, so many Bible studies, so many meetings that took place uh, in, this, in, in this home. Sometimes we also met at Sam and Michael's home in Coburg. And if you look closely, you'll notice some similarities between Sam and Michael's home and the home that we live in today, because after Sam and Michael moved out, we moved in, and so we've been there ever since. And you can tell the carpet is definitely not the same today as it was back then. Um, (laughs) We can can thank uh, the many years of use and our children for that. Sometimes we met at the Stanley's home in Doncaster. Now the small group continued to grow in number, and uh, especially when Galen and Janelle brought their small group that they had been running uh, for quite some time to join our our group. Their small group met at Southern Cross near, uh, right across the street from Southern Cross Station, and they merged with us um, with our small group. Now, if you look at James, this is pre Kim. And this is (laughs) pre-beard. What does James look like without a beard? This is what he looks like. (laughs) Now, I remember back then, Galen and Janelle, they were in transition. And there was a church that was uh, courting Galen and Janelle. They really wanted Galen to join their church. And I remember that church, and I I won't name the church, but they said, Galen, we'll make you an elder. Come join us. And Galen was kind of like, you know, like I... I've a, uh, I, I, yes, I can see myself serving in this church. And at the same time, there's Roy and Jinha here in the city. What should I do? And I remember he was in that time of thinking and that, uh, in that time of transition. And one night he called, he, he called me. He's like, Hey, do you have time to catch up? Drove out there, caught up with Galen. And he said, Hey, we've made a decision. We're going to commit ourselves to the Melbourne City Adventist Church. And this is going back nine years now. Nine years. And, Ever since that moment, Galen and Janelle have been a part of our church. Um, so we spent a lot of time as a group and as a leadership team talking and dreaming about what kind of a church we wanted to start in the city. Now, I'll be honest. Our original group, we were not all on the same page. Countless meetings Countless discussions and, of course, disagreements as well. And you're familiar with that whole team-building paradigm where you have to storm before you norm, right? And we certainly did a fair amount of storming. Now, in the end, our group went on a retreat to Phillip Island, and we solidified a vision for the church plant under the name Melbourne City Adventist Church. And, you know, as a church, we don't often um, share our vision, our motto, and our values. Like if I were to ask the question, what's our vision, what are our values? You know, even for myself, I'm like, I'd have to scratch my head and think about it. And I realized, you know what? This is something that we should probably discuss regularly so that we as a uh, body of believers can say, so this is what makes up our church and this is why we do what we do. And and I think the more familiar we pe- uh, become with these Values and the vision. The more we can discuss them, and even at the business meeting coming up, we're going to be exploring: is this something that um, we continue want? Uh, <laughs> is this something that we want to continue to adopt? And so, I want to share these visions and these values with the vision and the values with you, um, so that you understand our church, and also in hopes that, um, yeah, more of the ministry that we do makes sense. So, this is the vision of our church. To be a growing, loving community where everyone can develop a genuine and dynamic relationship with God. To apply and share the beliefs and values of the Seventh-day Adventist church in a way that is relevant to the people of Melbourne. So we had a lot of discussion about what it was like to be um, young professionals exploring our faith as uh, Seventh-day Adventists. And there was this question of relevancy. Are we as an Adventist church still relevant? And we had this discussion and we said, when we start our church, we want it to connect with things that people actually go through in their lives. We want to connect with the news that's going on. We want to understand how to live out our faith in the present day. We came up with a motto. The motto was loving God, loving others, exploring a Christ-centered worldview. You know, this one statement has really guided and directed uh, the core of the core of our church. You know, the uh, a significant part of our service on Sabbath is discussion time, and I, I think a lot of times, uh, at least in the past, it wasn't really common to go to church, hear the sermon, and get to argue about it afterwards in a group. Do I, do I agree with the pastor or do I disagree? And we wanted to have an open forum where people could explore their faith and even disagree to the preacher uh, themselves. And, and, and we just wanted people to be able to have a safe space to explore, to learn from one another, and to really understand what it meant to live out a Christ-centered worldview. We came up with seven core values. The values. The first value is this. We believe that the Bible presents a gospel worldview that is practical, relevant, and that promotes physical, relational, and spiritual well-being. Building upon the faithfulness of God and the response of his followers throughout the ages, the Seventh-day Adventist movement articulates this worldview for the 21st century. Here's the second value, relevance. We want our ministry to be practical and accessible to people in Melbourne City. Each element of our church service, small groups and ministries is designed and regularly reviewed to be intentional and meaningful. We are respectful of the unique Melbourne culture and will do our best to express ourselves in ways that are compatible with that culture. However, operating from a position of respect for the city we live in, we may challenge some of the thoughts and ideas that we believe stand in the way of helping our fellow Melburnians to have happier and more meaningful lives. There's a third value, open and inquiring minds. Our attitude is one of openness to different perspectives and ideas. Our small group base was founded on the belief that if you allow people to question and explore their doubts and ideas, they will be more certain of their convictions. We recognize that our target group are likely to have inquiring minds that are keen to explore ideas and build their knowledge. As such, we will ensure that our programs are rich in content and provide varied opportunities for learning. So our next value, inclusivity. We foster an environment that is suitable for inviting unchurched people, regardless of whether it's a small group, church service, or, or social activity. This impacts our use of language and the assumptions we make about people's knowledge base. We want newcomers and regulars alike to engage with the service in a meaningful way and feel like they belong. Community. We believe everyone is worthy of love and needs a place to belong. We want our church to be a loving community where genuine relationships can be created and nurtured, and where everyone knows your name. You can tell someone here was a big Cheers fan, and uh, I don't know if those of you, I don't know if you recognize that line. I'm not going to point fingers, Jenna. <laughs> but there, there was a natural affinity to Cheers. <laughs> that, that is intentional. Discipleship. Jesus calls us to follow him and to make disciples. Our church provides Bible studies, small groups, and workshops to provide avenues for personal, spiritual growth, and tools for outreach. We want to equip every member to know Jesus well and to make Jesus known. We want to identify, develop, and empower leaders. And finally, mission. We want to effectively share the good news of Jesus and the biblical principles of holistic living that can meet the physical, relational, and spiritual needs of our community. We use diverse and creative methods of outreach, including technology, seminars, and community service. So from that core group, we explored who we were and how we thought we could best connect with the city and create a church. Those are our visions. Uh, That was our vision. That That was our motto, and these are our core values. Now, from February 1, 2014 to July 3, 2021, we held our church services at 500 Collins Street. For seven years, there was a man by the name of Derek Rippingale, uh, an Adventist CEO who, ad- who offered his office space to us on, uh, on Saturdays rent-free. I remember when we were first asked to launch church service, we kind of calculated how much it would cost to run church service. On average, for a small space in the city, it was going to cost about $500 uh, per Sabbath to uh, run church service. And there was only a handful of us, and we kind of thought, okay, are we committing ourselves to this? And we thought, this is going to be really expensive, very fast. And uh, Derek was just someone, he was an elder out uh, in Lilydale that I had given Bible studies with, uh, like. Back in 2006, and so you know that's going back uh, 16—not 16 years, uh, more than that. A long time ago. (laughs) The the stage fright makes the math math uh, abilities completely go away. (laughs) And so uh, one time, I just caught up with Derek, and I knew he was a CEO, and I thought, hey, how do we run our church in a financially viable way? And I just wanted to throw different ideas by him. And Derek sat down with me at lunch, and he said. Look, I've read through your proposal, and it sounds like you're just looking for a place uh, to run church service. I've got a business in the city. Do you want to check it out? And we, I thought, okay, sure. And initially, I thought it was going to be a small space with just a few cubicles. And um, I just thought it's rude for me to say, no, that's okay. I don't want to see your office space. And so I went with him to 500 Column Street. Many of you have walked through the doors, through the lobby, and into the lift. As it goes up, the doors open and lo and behold, the whole floor of a skyscraper um, basically was where Derek Rippingale ran his business. And he just walked me through the whole office and asked me, would this be suitable? And, of course, I thought, this is perfect. And the big question in my mind was, how much is this going to cost? And, of course, he said, it's free. Don't worry about rent. Just come and do your, run your church, run Mission and Outreach, Um, and, and, you know, something that I've been praying about as a CEO is God, how do I best serve you in my position? And, um, you know, I was just floored by that. And he could tell that I was in, I was kind of thinking about what had just happened. And he said, you know, Roy, there are people like me who are looking for people like you and your wife, uh, that just want to do God's work. We want to help in that. And, um, you know, we, we exited the building and, and, that night, as Jinha and I were looking at Google Maps, we realized that 500 Collins Street uh, sits on uh, Collins Street and Church Lane. And I emailed Derek Ripingale and I said, Do you know that your office space sits on Church Lane? And he said, I did not know that. And it's one of those moments where you just kind of see God doing a thing. And I'll tell you, um, it, I've actually said it many times before, but that one moment, Really served as a reminder each time there was discouragement and and, and the question of God: Are we doing the right thing here? Like, are we? Should we continue on with this church plan, or do we just shut the doors and go? Yep, we gave it our best go. And each time, we just kind of would think back to this moment and just say, "Hey, God led back then, and God is going to lead right now, even in the midst of this difficulty." Well, during that seven-year period, we had 347 worship services. Over 2,000 different individuals walked through the doors to attend Melbourne City Adventist Church. 87 people have become a part of our church community. There have been seven baby dedications. Three more babies have been born today, as you saw um, in the announcements. You know, it was incredible looking at my phone and just interacting with the parents this morning. And just going, "Hey, how are things going?" And then message comes through, "Twins are born." She just kind of uh, Ketson will one day come to the front and share the journey that uh, him and his family have gone through. These these babies <laughs> Levi knows. <laughs> Levi, you're a big brother now. Um, <laughs> soak it in. You're going to have to share your toys tomorrow. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's true. They're not. You got me there. <laughs> um, but these babies are miracle babies. Um, and anyway, you'll, you, you'll get to th- you'll get to hear the stories of these babies. But my point is that the children's ministry has is exponentially growing, especially since the uh, pandemic. Um, thanks to the media team, we've live streamed uh, hundreds of services, and we now have 284 subscribers um, on YouTube. For, um, on the Melbourne city Adventist church YouTube um, site and people that watch our, 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 our service are people who are from Melbourne. They're from interstate, they're from overseas. And um, I guess it's not really supposed to be, it's just an interesting thing that your families tune in to, to watch what we're doing here in church. And for me, it's just, it's, you know, even though they're not present, this has kind of become a multi-generational family church and, and it's, What's reflected in this building in terms of like looking around and seeing who's sitting here does not reflect what actually happens each Sabbath. You know, for me, I'm kind of picturing the different conversations that take place between child and parents where they're like talking about church. That for me kind of blows my mind a bit. But um, yet that's what has happened here. You know, as a result, there have been... uh, the division-run multiple training conferences throughout the year. And Jinha and I are like two Americans that are not connected, who were not connected and didn't know very many people, but people had heard about what had happened in this church and had started inviting us and our our church members to come share about what had happened in Melbourne City Adventist Church. And if you travel to other capital cities around Australia – And you go, and I guess I already said capital cities, but yeah, if you go to the capital cities and look for a Seventh-day Adventist church that is primarily made up of young professionals, it is a rare thing. It's a rare thing. And so people want to know what happened, what's happening in this church. Well, 12 people have been baptized. Three people have joined our church through a profession of faith. Sorry, that, James. That was the that was the um, nod to the streaming services, the streaming that's happened over the years. <laughs> and I think at 2019, this is kind of like the church had been gaining momentum and gaining momentum, and you know we were averaging almost 60 people a weekend at church, and it was just it it, it became something that was meaningful. Of course. In 2020, the pandemic came to Australia, and I'll be the first to admit when COVID-19 first became a thing. Like I, you know, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw one of those posts. Um, what does it actually mean to catch COVID-19? And people were just kind of um, commenting about uh, the dangers of COVID-19, and I posted something like. Um, oh, symptoms of COVID-19 are just like like small flu-like symptoms. It's not a big thing. And it was my way as a a pastor to say, let's just keep calm and move on with our lives. Little did I know, right? And a a medical professional actually quickly commented on my post, and I was like, okay, I'm wrong. (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) I remember March 2020, we were hearing about the first cases of COVID-19 coming to Melbourne. And it was the Australian Grand Prix weekend. And lo and behold, our church retreat was landing on the very same weekend. And we had more people enrolled for that church retreat than had ever been enrolled before. And, you know, at that time, we'd been running, I think we ran about six retreats. So it was something that was exciting. It was like, hey, we have over 60 people that are going to come to this retreat. It's going to be fantastic. And then the government decided, or I was it the FIA? Was it the government? I don't know. They shut down the 2020 Grand Prix. And the leaders kind of thought, hey, this is actually very significant. Uh, how do we act responsibly in this situation? And we had a quick meeting, and we decided, you know what, let's, let's actually follow suit, and we should, we should cancel our, our retreat. And that was the beginning of the end for me. <laughs> It was like, no, why are we shutting down retreat? Shut down retreat and then lockdown. And you all know what lockdown was like. So I won't comment too much about it. But that was the beginning of Zoom worship service. And, you know, it was over two years on and off of meeting on Zoom. And I don't know what it was like for you spiritually, but I remember for me, it was a challenge being stuck in the house being stuck in the circumstances, and to really live out faith in a meaningful way. Well, fast forward to 2022, the lockdown is over, and the pandemic has officially been declared over. And I guess the question is, here is our church now. You know, if you think about it, it's like two and a half years. Uh, So this church has been around for about nine years almost one-third of it has been in lockdown. You put that into perspective in the life of a church, it does something to a community of faith. And, you know, for me, it's kind of like, you know, there were moments where we had, like, five people come out to church on a week. Maybe it wasn't that bad. I'm I'm probably exaggerating, right? I'd have to look at attendance, but it felt like there were five people at church. It's a question of, like, what do we do next? And the reality is I feel like the pandemic isn't actually over, (laughs) right? Like we're still, you know, there's another wave of COVID that's coming through. We're about to hit summer. There are going to be crowds of people that are congregating and meeting. And this just it's not going away. So the question is, as church, as a church, what do we do now in this place? I want to update you on some of the events that have taken place. So, as many of you know, we applied for funding uh, to start a center of influence. And initially, our project was approved for almost $2 million to start a child care center in or near the, uh, the city of Melbourne. And so we were going to start a child care center, have something that kind of ministered to young families, and kind of connect our church next to it. And Jinha and I were going to provide like chaplaincy services and kind of get our young families to network with the young families that would attend the childcare center and that was the that was the initial idea well when the city went on lockdown running a child care a child care center was just a terrible idea so we actually we hired a consultant and the consultant was like do not do not do this <laughs> in summary don't don't start a childcare center in the city it's not a good idea right now and so we waited and we waited and we waited and we waited and as time went by we caught word Um, Hey, there's been an administrative decision that's been changed, and your project initially was a five-year plan for you to receive funding and then to become financially independent, but we are now only going to give you the first year's worth of funding. Well, that made the project no longer financially viable, and so the project basically um, was, was canned at that point in time. There's probably a better way of wording that, but that's essentially what happened. And so we're like, okay, we still have the first year's worth of funding, which was still a very significant amount, like close to a million dollars, let's say. Well, we caught word uh, about a couple of weeks ago saying, hey, there's been an administrative change, and um, we're not sure exactly how much you're going to get, but – it's not going to be the first year's worth of funding. And so there have been several administrative changes, and I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but that's just kind of what has happened now. And so that leaves us in a church in this interesting situation because initially it was like, hey, let's get all the planning done, and then we can present it to the church, and we can say, what do you think about this idea? We could all discuss, massage the plan, um, and then kind of move forward. Well, the plan now is – Okay, what are we going to do moving forward? And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of thinking and praying, God, what's next here? Like there's so many kind of roller coasters of what's, what's, what's been happening. And so as a leadership team, we've gone back and we've revisited uh, the core values of our church. And I've already kind of gone through each value in detail And we just thought, let's look at where we are today and what we're going through as a church. And as I kept reviewing the core values, discipleship is something that really kind of stuck out in my mind. And this happened because I would have conversations with people at church or hear people sharing in discussion time or just have conversations in different spaces. And what seemed to... Um, reoccur is a desire to understand scripture better for them uh, for for people to understand scripture for better for themselves and people would say you know people would ask me questions and I don't feel confident in having an answer like I wish I knew my Bible and had a robust theology myself or there would be discussions like uh, I want to be able to share my faith but I'm not sure exactly how or what that looks like And so, as we were thinking and praying through, what do we focus on next? Yeah, uh, our minds just kind of went towards, I should say my mind went towards discipleship. And I just want to share a little bit with you about um, what the Bible says about discipleship. And over the next week, I'd like you to think and pray through what this means for you personally. So in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, I've gone a really long time. I'm going to, I realize I just looked at my clock. I'm so glad that I did. I'm going to wrap up pretty quickly here. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You know, as I interact with um, you all as individuals here at church, you know, something that kind of speaks to me as a pastor is it would be amazing to have a church where people feel confident in inviting people that they know and love too. I think there's something inside of the heart of those of you who attend here that value God, you you value your spirituality, you value your relationship with Jesus. And it's like if I knew that the church was ready for my family member, my partner, my coworkers, my friends, I would invite that person to this place and experience a meaningful encounter with God because I personally find God meaningful. And so for me, I just kind of thought, what would it look like to make our church a place where people feel confident about saying, yep, I know our church can effectively minister to people. I know people are going to encounter God in a significant way. And when you look at what Jesus told his disciples to do, basically he's saying, understand my teachings, understand what I'm about, and be able to share that effectively with those who don't know me. So there's this element of, multiplication, there's this element of maturing, there's this element of uh, an outward focus. In First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 17, it's interesting when Paul talks about his own call, his own mission, his own ministry, he, he doesn't directly quote the Great Commission that we've just read, but he alludes to it. Notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. He says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. You know, I've read this passage many times before, but this week when I read it, I just thought, hang on a second here. Paul says that Jesus did not call him to baptize. And if you go back to the Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, go baptize people. And I feel like when we think of discipleship, we kind of think of this cookie-cutter outline, and we say all of us have to be able to do this. I don't know if you've ever heard it from the front. I certainly have. It's like every one of us is called to be a witness. Every one of us is called to make disciples. We're supposed to be able to baptize other people, and it is our job as a community. And what's interesting to me here is that Paul looks at this and he goes, yeah, baptizing is not for me. And, and what I want to highlight here is that it's not about taking the literal words of Jesus and going, okay, I need to apply every single idea here and I personally need to do it. Because the reality is some people are going to be effective at witnessing and other people are not going to be effective at witnessing. And some people should not witness. And anyway, <laughs> you take that with a grain of salt. But from observation, it's like, Ah, there's something else that God is calling you to. And when I look at what Paul says, he is a disciple of Christ. And he just looks at this and he says, There's something, there's a ministry and a mission that God has called me to that I've committed my whole life to that is incredibly meaningful. But this one thing, it's not it. That's really interesting to me. And so for me, a part of discipleship is really having you discover what God has called you to do personally as an individual to engage in his mission, to find a newfound purpose. And that's really um, what I hope that our church can achieve. Finally, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And I've alluded to this in, uh, in the Great Commission, but I'll just mention it here anyway. 2 Timothy 2, 2, it says, And the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's one sentence, but there's like four generations of leadership that are mentioned here, where Paul says, hey, from me to you, Timothy, go find someone else who can tell someone else to teach things that I've told them to do. And this is what makes church church, the ability to be able to connect with other people in a meaningful way and to multiply the experience that we have had in our own lives. So I hope that as you consider what makes church meaningful for you? As we have our business meeting, I hope that we can have a meaningful discussion about that. Now, here are the specific agenda items that we're going to be discussing, the discussion points that we're going to be looking at. One, what will be the next strategic focus for Melbourne City Adventist Church? I've spent a little bit of time uh, talking about that. Second, we're going to talk about should Melbourne City Adventist Church run a center of influence? Now, in my mind, there are two ways that we can do mission and ministry. One, we can reach out to people that we don't know by building a center of influence. Because if we run any kind of a outreach event or a program or a business, we really are reaching the community around the area that the center of influence lies in. And we really don't have control over who attends that center of influence. And so the question is, are we committing ourselves? Do we want to commit ourselves to reaching people that we don't know? Or do we want to build our church and create it into a place where we can effectively minister to people that we do know? The third thing that we're going to be discussing is what time do we want to run church service? Are we going to continue to run church in the afternoon or go back to morning starts? This has significant. This has a significant impact. Um, implication because if we decide we don't want to run church in the afternoon, there's already a church that operates in this building in the morning. And so we're gonna to have to relocate. Um and then the question comes, where are we going to where are we going to relocate to? And so we're not gonna make a decision on location um next weekend. We're just gonna discuss do we want to explore um changing the time of our service from afternoon to, to morning and then we can figure out what the specifics of that look like um, after after the meeting. So those are the main discussion points of the business meeting. We also want to ask you to fill out a survey. And if you are happy to take out your phones and scan the QR code, it's not a long survey. This survey is not really, this is not, this has nothing to do with voting. We just want to hear from you. We want to understand uh, what's on your heart and what's on your mind. And as a leadership team, we want uh, want to be more effective in how we run church. And so um, it would be great if those of you who are watching as well uh, could join us in the survey. Um, And even if you're not watching live or um, here in present, if you see this video, please scan the QR code. If you're a part of our church community, uh, please fill out the survey. The information is going to be very helpful. As usual, we have discussion questions, which we'll... um, the QR code will also be uh, in the in the fellowship hall in the back. For those of you for those of you who are joining us online, feel free to scan the QR code, and um, we hope that you can find me in full discussion from uh, today's service. I'm just going to invite you to join me for prayer as we close our service. Father God, as we consider the next steps of our church, as we consider what it means to really encounter uh, your will, not just for our lives, but for this community uh, of faith, and uh, we just want to surrender this to you. A lot of changes have happened uh, over the last few months, and uh, certainly over the last few years of our church, but Father, we know that you have a plan, and even in the midst of uncertainty, uh, you desire uh, for us to surrender to you, to hear your voice, and to really um, really seek your will. And so, Father, we do that, and uh, we just ask that as we uh, pray through and uh, ponder the next steps that um, we would be able to have meaningful discussion and, and, and hear your voice. We pray this in your name. Amen.